Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Thought Leaders Lounge, an ongoing conversation with Family Compass. I'm your host, Chad Black, and today I am just beyond thrilled to welcome today's guest. Um, I literally had to narrow down titles of things that she's done because she literally does all the things. So she is an executive director of the Storehouse of Collin County. She's a community philanthropist, former Family Compass board chair, and my dear friend, Candace Winslow. Hello. Hi. How are you? That's incredibly kind, overly generous with your words as usual, yeah, but it's all true. Thank you. It's all true. Thank you. Thank you, you do all the things. I don't know how you do all the things, but you do all the things. Oh so. my. Oh my. Yeah. Thank you for being here. No, thank you for having me. Super, so super excited. excited. Me too. I've really been looking forward to this. So, so uh, a way that we always kind of start our episodes, we always love to hear uh, everyone's journey. Everyone mm. has one. Um, so I'd kind of love to hear a little bit about your journey, what led you to DFW and specifically nonprofit service. Okay. So, um, I am proud to say I'm a native Texan, but I grew up in Houston okay. and I'm one of the very few Houstonians that would say she prefers Dallas over Houston. Okay. Uh, when I <laughs> went to college, I went to the university of Texas in Austin and had the opportunity to take my first job with a management consulting firm back in Houston mm -hmm. or in Dallas. But I chose Dallas because I really wanted to have a true commencement in my life. I'm the mm -hmm. oldest of two and wanted to really strike out on my own and do my own thing. So that led me yeah. to Dallas back in 1989. I'm wow. not even sure that you were born in 1989, uh, yeah, but anyway. Yeah, I was. <laughs> um, so in 89, I came here um, and again, started my career professionally in management consultancy, but really brought with me um, a passion for service that really started mm. back in high school. Mm. Um, mm. So when I was in high school in the 80s, there was truly just a community involvement club. That's what right. it was called. And um, in those early experiences, I recognized that um, there was something about life that meant that you were to do something with your own life. Mm -hmm. And it really just came from a sense of, um, I'm supposed to serve, I'm supposed to do other things. And right. so it was a seed in um, high school. A somewhat nurtured in college. Um, but really, once I came to Dallas, um, and remember, I didn't know anybody when I right. came to Dallas. Um, one of the smartest things I did was I joined the Junior League of Dallas. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. I will tell you, that first decision in my nonprofit, if you will, career um, led me to make female friends that were friends of mine, not because of work, but simply because we had a passion to right. serving in the community. So that was kind of really the beginning of my time here in Dallas in terms of community service. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing how things just sort of uh -huh. fall into place yeah. as they're supposed to. Well, and especially when you're at my age and you can look back and you can go, oh, this decision to join the league back in 1994. Right. Um, again, I was doing it, frankly, um, not only to give back to the community, but to make friends in Dallas. Yeah. And um, that being a part of that organization gave me this broad view of all the issues in Dallas, Texas. Wow. And then that allowed me to start to explore, was I more interested in the arts? Was I more interested in social services? Was it poverty? Was it violence right. uh, intervention? What, where were my passions? And I'm forever indebted to uh, the league for what it gave me. Thank you. Well, we want to thank the league too, because <laughs> eventually you made your way to us. Here, here. So we're very happy about that. So, um, People probably don't know this, but I've I've had the pleasure of working with Candace for almost five years now. Wow. 
which is crazy. That to is think crazy. About. Um, and in that time, you know, she's she's really been a, a mentor for me, um, helped guide me, helped teach me, um, just kind of hold my hand through things Hardly. as we made our way um, through the tunnel. Um, so just an incredible mentorship that I've received. Thank Who you. have been some mentors for you and how have they impacted your life? Yeah. You know, I've, I've, one thing I've always ascribed to is I don't think one person is your mentor. Mm-hmm. I think the most fortunate, most blessed people have several mentors. Yeah. And so I've had mentors professionally. I've I've had mentors spiritually. I've Mm. had um, mentors in my community service Mm. life. Um, When you ask me the question, um, immediately, I think of several older women Mm. in my life um, who have poured in such just rich wisdom. Mm. Um, You're very kind in ascribing mentor to me, Chad, and our relationship. But what I would equally say right back to you is I think for someone to really say I have a mentor that's demonstrating they have a teachable spirit. Mm-hmm. And um, I think oftentimes people don't recognize the importance of being open-handed mm-hmm. and wanting to learn. And mm-hmm. so um, I've tried to position myself no matter where I was in my career, professionally or in community service to say, I know I need to learn more here. Um, and who can teach me more? Um, and generally, not always, but generally I have found that to be in older women, um, women that are maybe 10 to 20 years older than me, um, and really desiring to sit and listen to their wisdom and then make it my own, Mm -hmm. right? That it's never just a, automatically one size fits all, but listening to someone else's experience and trying to learn from it. So I've had several, I mean, I wish I could say it's just one, but it's really been several different women who poured into me. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And, and prepped you for all this crazy work. Yes. Well, and, and (laughs) do you know, um, I say this to my, um, young adult children and especially my young adult son, I'm like, when you ask people for help, when you ask people to speak into your life, to give you counsel, that is a sign of strength. Mm-hmm. It is never a sign of weakness. Yeah. And I think oftentimes culture tells us the exact opposite, right? right? That, right. oh, I've got to have it all together. I've got to know all the answers. I've got to walk in the room, be the smartest, the fastest, yeah. the brightest. And um, truly, even from, I would say, my late 20s on, I recognize, oh, if I really want to be the fastest, smartest, brightest, strongest in the room, then I need to ask the most questions and surround myself with people who are those things. And right. ultimately I'll benefit. But again, I think you have to come to that, that work with this right. teachable kind of spirit. That's what you have. That's why it's such a delight to work with you because right. I feel like, yes, I have some experiences you don't have. That's a right. fact that there's no right. value statement to that, but you're interested in those experiences right. and you want to learn from those experiences. And that's where I think, um, having a mentor, um, receiving guidance from a mentorship, that's the, that's the secret sauce is mm-hmm. the one receiving or they is willing to receive as the one who's giving is to give. Right. Love it. Love it. Love it. So as you kind of ventured into this work, into this world of, of service and fundraising, mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. Uh, how would you describe fundraising specifically here in Dallas, Fort Worth? Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard it said to me personally that uh, DFW area is one of the most challenging and mm-hmm. most competitive yeah. in the nation. Do you think that's true? And mm-hmm. what's your experience? Yeah, I definitely think um, it's challenging. I definitely think it's competitive. But the next adjective I would immediately af- add after that list is it's the most generous. Mm. Um, mm. Dallas is known for philanthropy, mm-hmm. period, and stop. 
Um, and having grown up in Houston, and granted, you know, I was in my teenage years in Houston, but I was exposed to charitable organizations in Houston. Dallas is a completely different um, landscape. Mm. Um, and I think some that may hear that word competitive may draw a negative connotation. Mm. Um, but really, when you say competitive, it's a positive connotation. And here's what I mean by that. I think donors in Dallas are very smart. Mm. Um, they will not just throw money around. They really want to understand what is impact how has the needle moved? Right. Um, it is, um, I think, true philanthropists, true um, donors that are making a big difference really are looking at mission and looking at client and then looking at how that client is better served. Mm. So I have found um, there's so many phenomenal nonprofits. Oh, my gosh. Right? Yes. I mean. Truly. Yeah. And um, I think in fundraising, you have to believe in the nonprofit, whether you are a staff or you're a volunteer. You have to understand the mission, the clients, and how the needle is moved. And then you have to be super articulate mm-hmm. in how you explain that story because everybody has a great story. Yeah. And what I love about Dallas donors is that um, Dallas donors love a good story and they mm-hmm. love kind of that anecdotal, uh, you know, uh, emotional tie, mm-hmm. but they're more sophisticated than that. Yeah, yeah. Everybody has a great emotional story, but they want to, it's a data-driven kind of community. And so yeah. I think if you know the mission and you believe in it and you can articulate it, you can be very successful in raising funds in Dallas. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. So how do you think that fundraising has changed since yeah. you first started? Yeah. You know, I think for me, You've, I've definitely noticed, I've, I have been raising money for various causes, I would tell you, since the late 90s on. And I feel like, in, especially in the 90s and maybe even in the early 2000s, you saw a lot um, more uh, event, black tie mm-hmm. kind of gala. Right. I think we've gotten a lot more sophisticated like that. I still think special events have an incredible place, mm-hmm. a great way to establish name and brand and whatnot. Um, but I definitely have seen some changes from events to more what I'm going to call crowdsourcing moments and fundraising. Specifically, I'm thinking of North Texas Giving Day. I mean, think about what North Texas Giving Day was when it first began and what it's doing in our community now. Um, Again, I think that in the time that I have fundraised, and this could be just my own um, development, but again, this concept of I cannot ask someone for dollars without really understanding the data behind it, yeah. like talking about these are the metrics. So much more um, impact, much more impact um, focused conversations than just emotional heartstrings uh, conversations. Right. You know, which those I mean, those are important, too. Right. Without those question. But too. I can't just walk in with data. Right. I've got right. to explain to you how um, the mission has changed someone's life. Mm-hmm. But. Um, I don't think you can have one without the other. If you're right. if you're asking for what I'm going to call sizable donations, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, just a question that sort of pops into my mind here is, you know, we've we've spoken in our work together here at Family Compass that, you know, our mission mm-hmm. is such a vital mission of prevention. Here, here. But it's almost an invisible yes entity. Yes. Where you have so many of these other great agencies, like you spoke about who you can really see it. Yeah. Like you can put it on a billboard, yes. you see it, you feel it. Yes. I want to give, I want to serve, I want to do those things. What would you, what would you, I mean, what do you think it takes 
to stand out? Like, do you, mm -hmm. do you think there's a, just a, a creative piece to it? I mean, what yeah. is it that you think yeah. helps a place like Family Compass yeah. really start to stand yeah. out? I think where you stand out, um, any agency, this is what you excel at. This is what Ona Foster excels at is relationship, relationship, relationship. I, I say to folks all the time, fundraising is relationship it is storytelling, and it is discipline. It's just those three things. And what mm. I mean by that is if I want to stand out, I've got to build a relationship with you. If I'm mm. walking up to you and just saying, hey, will you give me $100? And I don't even know you. <laughs> probably I, not, right? It probably, right? I've got to I really, really know you. And relationship to me and fundraising is not that every time I see you, I'm asking you for a dollar. Relationship is I'm going back to that storytelling, mm. right? Which is the emotional story, but it's also the data story. Right. Chad, you know the $100 you gave me yesterday? This is what it did today. And then the discipline is really, um, being mindful of when's the last time I spoke to Chad? Did I ask or did I say thank you? Have I invited him to come and see the work? Have I pointed him to something that might help him in his journey, whatever his journey is? Like it's a two-way street. Right. And so I think what happens is, and especially um, with new fundraisers and sometimes even really tenured fundraisers, we forget the fact, we, we forget about the relationship mm -hmm. that you're not just a you're not just asking somebody for dollars. You're like, will you partner with me? Will you collaborate with me? Will you relate with me as we are focusing on trying to make this difference together? Yeah, absolutely. So as a former board chair, hmm. you know, in that leadership position, um, this is just something I wanted to ask you. Um, how do you think with everything that we just talked about, where do you think the board fits into this, yeah. in that board leadership? Yeah. So I think a high performing board, understands that they, one of several fiduciary responsibilities they have is to talk about the mission of the agency they're serving with their circle of influence, with their COI. Mm -hmm. So they're looking at all the relationships that they have and they are finding ways to advocate, and I'll just use Family Compass because it's a favorite. <laughs> they're looking for ways to talk about Family Compass within their COIs. Right. And that can be so easy. I did a board training once. I didn't do this at Family Compass. I did this at another agency. And we did role plays of um, when you are at your holiday cocktail party, mm -hmm. how do you slip in what you're doing right. for this agency and just holiday cocktail right. uh, talk? And it, you know, a tweet from that is simply this. If somebody says, hey, what's going on with you? What's up? You know, tell me something good. Um, how easy, how easy would it be for me today to say, oh, I had this amazing experience. I did a podcast for Family Compass. What's Family Compass, Candace? Bingo, bingo, right? <laughs> so you're looking for ways. And when, I, when I'm doing that, I'm not asking you for money. I'm not trying to convert you into a volunteer. What I'm trying to do is push into my relationship and tell you about something I'm interested in. No different than if I were to tell you about my son or my daughter right. or my husband, right? right. And it's recognizing we have a, the board has a fiduciary responsibility mm -hmm. and that is to advocate. It is to communicate. Right. It is to articulate. Um, and that does not necessarily mean that you're asking everyone in your COI for money. Right. What it does mean is you're trying to pique their interest enough that, oh, maybe in your COI, you'll see people start to bubble to the top. It could mm -hmm. be great volunteers. who could be great donors. who could be great messengers of your mission. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I agree with all of that. We've, we've spoken about <laughs> we've that in great, in great yeah, detail. Maybe more than once. We maybe have. more than very, once. Very, very much yeah. so. So what, where do you see the future of fundraising? I know, you know, right now we're in kind of a strange climate just yeah. with some things going on. Where do you see fundraising going yeah. in the future? So right now, kind of in a, if I can use the term, it's so overused, but a post-COVID world, I have 
absolutely noticed uh, such a clamor to get back to in-person mm, events. Right. So here we are in 23, but if you'll remember, it was just two years ago in 2021, we were still fighting COVID, right? right. So I don't think you really start to, started to see kind of in-person events really kind of uh, sell out quickly until early 22. I still think we're riding a little bit of that wave. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see, has that changed us, you know, as a people mm-hmm. group, do we really like being together or will that fade? So that's, right. that's um, one thing. I definitely think we're seeing um, how we employ technology Um, in terms of fundraising, that's different, at least in my world, point in case example. Um, we've just employed using Venmo as a way for our volunteers who are, are, um, serving our, in our food pantry to give in the moment that they're serving. So we have our Venmo handle all around the food pantry and we have connected your hands are doing this, your cart of food that you're running out to one of our neighbor's cars, you could sponsor that cart of food for $25. And so we're starting to use technology kind of in the middle of the volunteering right. moment. Um, I love that though. That's very, very smart. I yeah, love it. Yeah. You know, you are in such a great position at Storehouse um, that your volunteers literally get to come in yeah. and they just sort of are immersed yes. into that world that that service yeah. or whatever that's incredible so yeah. i love that that's a great yeah idea. and and that's a we are very fortunate but can i say that even agencies like family compass have bridged that gap for me um, when i first came became involved in family compass a family compass with the client's permission gave me a picture of the mom and daughter that my husband and i were supporting in different ways we were supporting obviously um the caseworker if you will a family compass that was supporting this family but um it is when a volunteer can see they are making a difference for a real face, mm-hmm. if you will. I think um, that changes the sense of buy-in and partnership that the donor has right. with with the agency. Well, maybe not so much like throwing money, and this is very crude, but kind of throwing money in a big giant pot. You know that that's going directly to someone. Exactly. Exactly. And changing their yeah. life, hopefully. Yeah. Right. And that's why we have this awesome opportunity. Again, in food pantry, it's super, super easy because you have a volunteer running a cart of food, putting it in a neighbor's truck, coming back for the next neighbor. And then, you know, their mind hopefully is sparking, oh, $25 pays for all this food. And I could I could actually buy a week and a half worth of food for this neighbor that I just served, you know. Right. So trying to use technology to make us smarter in our fundraising moments and and never forgetting, I talk about this all the time, um, the widow's might gift is, is just as important as the millionaire gift, yeah. right? And always looking, I never want to be a fundraiser that um, doesn't celebrate the $25 gift. Oh my gosh. Uh, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can get jaded in this industry. Oh. Mm. You know, and it's really looking at every gift as some somebody who has made a sacrifice yeah. to serve somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. We I was watching a documentary on. Um, it was called Old Friends. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. seen this. It was on it. Amazon, but mm-hmm. um, it's about th- this. I think they were up in. I want to say Oregon. I don't remember. Yeah. Please don't yeah. get mad at me if I don't remember correctly. But they were specifically serving um, older dogs mm-hmm. who had been mm-hmm. kind of abandoned yeah. and had a rundown building. They they were doing the best they could, all yeah. of this. And then they just decided to do this campaign for a new building. They needed a new facility. Yeah. And what's so incredible is they did, they raised $7 million off of those $25 donations. Seriously. So anybody out there that thinks, well, I yeah. can only give that, 
What'd it you, really does make a difference. What'd you learn from the documentary? Like when you think about that, like what would be your big takeaway? Well, I already felt that way. I, I, I feel very similar to you yeah. that the, the, the smaller donations are just as vital as the $10,000 check that comes yes. in. And it really just kind of put that into this very concrete perspective yeah. because I'm like, there you go. That's yeah. exactly, yeah. that's exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Where we're coming, what, what we believe as yeah. well. It's just getting, I think, everyone to understand and know that it it really, it adds up. It makes a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, $25 can cover a, a home mentoring session. A hundred percent. But it's what you, and, and it's what you just did kind of tying back to the earlier part. It's making sure that if you're on the board, you're a volunteer, you're on staff. Mm-hmm. Do you know what $25 does? Right. Right. Exactly. So can you talk about that in very specific terms? Yeah. And I think... Um, and it's also making sure that anyone who is touching, if you will, the fundraising aspects knows how to speak that. The strongest is when a volunteer knows that, right? Mm-hmm. Because then a volunteer tells another volunteer. Right. And um, so, yeah. We could literally talk about this all day, yeah. couldn't we? I, I, with you, absolutely. With <laughs> we you, do. We end up doing that a lot. <laughs> that's right. So that's right. We don't even know it. Yeah, that's so right. That's crazy. We would like to extend a very special thank you to MW3 for sponsoring this episode of Thought Leaders Lounge. And now for a message from MW3. MW3 is proud to sponsor our spiritual leader and friend, Candace Winslow. MW3 is a Bible study group of 11 women formed over 15 years ago. Candace graciously welcomes us into her home and uses her spiritual gift of teaching to bring God's word to life. Candace not only does an amazing job of bringing each of us closer to our Lord Jesus Christ, she authentically shares her personal spiritual journey. For all of us, it's a slice of heaven here on earth each Monday morning. And for that, we want to honor our wonderful Candace. Well, I wanted to share, this was something I was really thinking about um, preparing for our conversation today. And it's just this sort of analogy that I, it actually came in a dream hmm. to me and I, I use it for my life, but it's, I had a dream that I was at the top of this mountain and that mountain was part of my life. Hmm. And I was able to kind of look back and see all the, the hills and the valleys and everywhere that I came from starting with birth. And then I was able to turn around and see everything in front of me that hopefully I was going to achieve and conquer and fail and win and do all (laughs) the things. Um, And I thought this is just such a great lesson on life and who we are and and the the, the hard stuff and the great stuff and everything in between. So I wanted to ask you kind of specifically, what does the view look like from your mountaintop (laughs) when you look behind and when you look in your future? I got no warning that you were going to share that. I didn't know that. that it's so beautiful. <laughs> that it would elicit that reaction. But, yeah. No, it's so beautiful. And it's so, I think, germane. I was just, um, it's really beautiful, mm. truly. So germane. I was just sharing this with somebody yesterday. Um, wow. Um, I will be 55 this year. We can bleep that part out of the podcast, <laughs> right? And, um, I'm very proud to be 55, soon to be 55. Um, and what's so amazing about the season of life I'm in um, is that I can look back to my 20s and 30s and 40s, mm-hmm. and I can still remember them, right? right? Um, and Lord willing, I still have my 60s and 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. right? So I really kind of feel like I'm in this halfway moment, mm-hmm. right? And I don't... Um, 
I truly, all kidding aside, I'm really proud of that. I'm really, this is a sweet season in my life. Mm. Um, I am incredibly blessed uh, with um, an amazing husband and two adult kids who are, one's graduated from college, one's almost graduated from college. And so I'm recognizing, oh, wow, the landscape of my life is changing. And so um, I may not be at the mountaintop just yet, but I'm getting closer to that mountaintop. Um, and when I mean this with every fiber in my body, when I look around at my life, um, I am so blessed. I can, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't ask for more. Right. Uh, I have had these opportunities in life, um, to serve and to speak into other people's lives and, um, to receive tenfold back what I've given mm-hmm. and to, um, I'm now at an age where recognizing that even in the valleys, there's such wisdom and there's such sharpening and there's such character building. And not that anyone ever wants to go through the valley, not that anyone ever wakes up and says, hey, let me suffer. Let me go through some (laughs) hard times. I've been through in 55 years, some phenomenal seasons of difficulty for sure. And um, now I can look back and go, oh, what a, what a gift to have that, you know? Um, what I hope is as I continue to um, be on the journey to the mountaintop is I, my prayer is, is that I would have the health and the energy um, that when I'm 85 years old to be doing what I'm doing when I'm 55. Right. Um, I had the honor of meeting a woman two years ago, and this is how I've described her. She was 78 years old. She looked like she was 68 years old and she presented like she was 48 years old. (laughs) And I was like, that's who I want to be when I grow up. And the reason is, is the way the framework for my life, my worldview is that my life is not my own. And for every day that I'm here, I'm called to serve and not be served. And I absolutely believe without a shadow of a doubt that when all of us are on our deathbed, that's what we're going to be thinking about is how did we serve? How did we love? How did we change somebody's life? And I'm not just saying in community service. Yes, I am saying that, but I'm saying this. I mean, I will think of you on my deathbed, right? Mm. In some way. And I'll think about the journeys and the conversations and the things, all the things, right? Right. I'll think about this. I'll think about, you know, moments when we're like, oh, how's this going to work out? Right. Um, (laughs) That's, yeah. That, I think that's why that elicits such an emotional response because I think when we have that view, when you keep the mountaintop, when you wake up every day, what on seemingly is a mundane, mundane day, and you're thinking about the mountaintop, it really changes your perspective of how you go about the day. I def- yeah. Yeah. And wouldn't you agree? I think it's the valleys where we really learn the lessons. Oh, 1,000%. And you can't, I mean... You just have to. Have, I mean, yeah. it's just part of life. You don't that's want them. You, that's sort of the beauty of it. One hundred percent. If you really think about it. So. My silly analogy. I 
talk about this all the time. I've always wanted like really pretty sculpted arms, <laughs> but how do you get really pretty sculpted arms? You got to go to the gym every day and you got to lift the weights. Yeah. You got to do the work. You've yeah. got to do the hard stuff. Yeah. And so I don't have that because I haven't done the hard stuff. So I can want that sculpting, but I can wish it all I want. It's never going to happen. I think when I go through the valley, it's to remember that on the other side of the valley, that there will be good mm -hmm. if I will persevere and um, and resilient. And that when I'm in a valley, I need to ask for help. Yeah. When I'm in the valley is that's, that's when I need to be secure and strong enough and care enough about myself to say, Hey, Chad, will you help me? I'm in a valley. I need some help. And I think again, speaking, thinking of my young adult children, that has been a lesson that I've really tried to impart to them mm -hmm. is that asking for help when you're in a valley is a sign of strength. And that's how you're going to get out of the valley faster. When you kind of hold it all in, you're stuck in the valley, right? And um, so I, I don't want to go back to the valleys I've had, right? Um, and I'm smart enough to know I've got some more valleys coming. Yeah. They're yeah. coming for sure. Um, but it's prepared you for that. I mean, yeah. that's, yeah. again, I think life is all about perspective and what you decide to yes. kind of take out of that. And, you know, I think as we grow older, it prepares you. Yes for the valleys that are coming up. Amen. And, and also in those, I think this ties so back to the conversation we're having, serving other people is a real quick way to get the focus off of you. Mm. Do you know? Mm -hmm. And I think what happens is, is that when I'm serving other people, I have to think if I'm serving you, I'm thinking you before I'm thinking me. And it helps me get through some of those hard times. So in some of the seasons, I think um, in the last 20 years of my life, when my family has been in the valley, uh, we kept on serving <laughs> and it would have been easy to drop the service. Mm -hmm. It would have been easy to pull in as a family and say, okay, we're not giving time. We're not going to give money anymore. We're just going to pull in us four, four Winslows and we're going to hold tight and we're going to wait for the valley to pass. Right. And in those valleys, you know what we did is we pushed out even further. Mm -hmm. It didn't change the valley circumstances in our life one bit, but it almost was like a rope that pulled us through the valley because we knew that we were doing something more for our, for others than we could do for ourselves in that moment. Mm -hmm. I'm really like, thank you for asking that question. I'm really thinking about specifics right now. I, I, I can't wait to discuss that even deeper with John and yeah. Caroline and Grant, my husband and kids. Thank it. you for that. Well, I think that's a good place to close. I don't think it's going to get much better. Than <laughs> Is that, that when we do the mic drop? <laughs> right. Say, and yeah. boom. No, no, that's fantastic. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you no, for sharing. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the space uh, just to absolutely. process this with you. Absolutely. I'm so happy that we were able to make this happen. We've yeah. been talking about it for a while. So thank you for yeah. having me. And just thank you for everything that you do. Right back at You're you. You're amazing. Thank you, friend. Appreciate you it. are. And as we wrap up this season of Thought Leaders Lounge, I can't believe it, but um, we always like to leave you with an inspirational quote to take out into the world with you. So today's quote is by the great Mahatma Gandhi. The best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Well, this episode wraps up season one of Thought Leaders Lounge. It has been amazing to have spent this time with you. We look forward to returning in early 2024 to share more about our mission and how community partnerships allow us to continue our work. In the meantime, please be sure to subscribe to Thought Leaders Lounge on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find the latest agency updates on social media. We're on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram, all at Family Compass. See you soon.